A strong oil and gas presence is expected at the COP28 climate summit this month. What does the carbon-heavy industry have to offer and how will it build trust with its skeptics? We pose these questions to the sustainability chief of Petronas, one of Asia's largest oil companies. COP28 organisers from host country United Arab Emirates have said that everyone, including oil and gas firms, is welcome at the conference. They say exclusions will not help the world find better solutions to tackle the worsening climate risks. But many people find that message hard to swallow. Fossil fuels are the primary cause of global warming and the biggest sellers aren't keen to cut supply. Their blockbuster earnings last year amid high fuel prices have led to profiteering accusations. Environmentalists also suspect that fossil fuel lobbyists blocked more ambitious targets at last year's COP27 in Egypt. Why would this be a bit different, they wonder. Well, joining the Eco Business podcast to discuss the role that fossil fuel firms will play at COP28 is Charlotte Wolfby, the Chief Sustainability Officer of Petronas. Petronas is Malaysia's state-owned energy company and one of the country's biggest financial contributors. It has operations across the world and its daily production averaged 2.4 million barrels of oil equivalent last year. Petronas has also been present at past COP summits where it has pledged actions in areas such as better managing methane leaks. Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, as I was mentioning, it's nice to speak again since we last met in Gas Tech in Singapore a few months back. And I'm sure you and your team are super busy preparing for COP28 now. So, I mean, just to get us started, do you mind just first of all giving us a lowdown of what Petronas will be bringing to COP28, you know, in terms of the activities, the messaging and who will be attending? Well, thank you for the question. So Petronas doesn't have a, a formal role in the in the COP process. So we will just join the thousands uh, of other observers representing business cities and non-governmental organizations. And of course, it's like an important forum to really accelerate climate action where like-minded people get together and, and organizations and groups, but also to form new insights and then and to broaden our network. We will engage specifically on on topics such as energy transition, of course, transition finance, just transition, carbon pricing, voluntary carbon markets, nature-based solutions, and also very importantly on business role in supporting nature and biodiversity. So for us, it's about how to accelerate and scale up our efforts on climate action and really to support Malaysia and other host nations to operations that have pledged sort of goals towards the Paris ambitions. So that's what we, we're going to be doing in, in, in COP28. We have a, a small delegation of, of leaders that will be joining, as well as some uh, team members from my team who are uh, experts in specific areas of sustainability, so both on biodiversity and carbon markets, and they will follow specific negotiation strands and and specific programs at various pavilions. Awesome. Great to hear. And I I should have asked, you'll be going, right, to COP28? So, so that's the plan. I very much look forward to it. And and I would say, we unfortunately, we can't stay for very long. Obviously, we also have other business duties to tend to here in Malaysia. But we are truly looking forward to this COP because, as, as you mentioned, it is promoted as a very inclusive COP. And also what's very nice is that 
Dubai is a very big place and it, it can really host big events. So the, the usual issues around lack of accommodation and so on won't be there in Dubai. So, so it can really be inclusive in its truest form and, and bring people together. So it should, it should be a very, very interesting event. And I'm sure media will cover it plenty, plentifully, if you can say that. Yeah, I'm a little jealous because I'm not going this year, but I'll be covering online. I'll be looking forward to other activities. They will be webcasted. And yeah, since you touched on it, the idea of inclusivity, the COP28 president designate and his team has repeatedly said that, you know, it's an inclusive summit. Everyone is welcome at the table as long as you bring solutions. So just wondering, how do you see this message of having oil and gas companies work together to achieve climate targets? What specific action does this entail for Petronas? I understand that there is, of course, concern and, and uh, sort of distrust uh, in the system towards many entities in society because we have a climate crisis on our hands. However, uh, inclusivity is important because we must now move from talk uh, to action, and that means bringing the real economy to the table. I think it's about three quarters of man-made emissions come from the global energy system. So obviously it's very essential to have the energy system represented at a COP. And, and the situation has kind of changed, I think, over the years. In the past, a great focus of the COPs was the negotiated outcomes. We needed the strong policy signals and the governments to come together. But I would say now since COP21 in 2015, we have a very clear signal of where the world wants climate action to go. So now it's more about how you do it, who do you partner with, and how can you scale up and accelerate. So COP has sort of become a bit of a climate trade fair, maybe the world's biggest climate trade fair, if you can call that. I definitely felt that last year when I was there, all the different country pavilions, the different setups around the whole the, the negotiations was actually just one one or two tents, right, for the governments, that, but the whole area around it, that was so crazy. And I'd just like to dive a little bit into, you know, what, what we hear people want the oil and gas industry to tackle. Scope 3 emissions is, is something that, you know, that's 80, 80%, 90% of the emissions from the oil and gas industry comes from Scope 3, from when customers buy the, say, the oil or gas and use it. Is there an opportunity for any breakthrough agreement here at COP28 among among the industry? And how would that look like? I, I guess for us to achieve with our climate ambitions globally, it's a whole systems transformation that's required. And that means that we must change both how we produce energy and consume energy. So scope three is an, is an important topic. It's like you driving a car with my petrol in it. So you produce my scope three, whilst that emissions are your scope one. <laughs> but I don't really have control on whether you're driving that your car or not, and whether you're speeding and, and so on. So scope three is complicated in the sense that you don't have direct control of that. So that's why in Petronas, we are right now focusing on scope one and two. Our plan, uh, well, we've been busy working on this for well over a decade, but our net zero plan has been in place for about two years now. So we're really doubling down on this. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't mature our approaches around scope three. So 
what can the industry do? I think certainly in Petronas' case, what we, we are working on is really to develop with our customers, our power customers, for instance, in Japan, looking at how can we decarbonize that value chain. So perhaps combine our gas delivery with carbon capture and storage from the power sector in Japan. So, so that's what we're working on various strands like that, which are very important to, to address scope three. But also what we are doing in Petronas, and I would say many other oil and gas companies do this also, investing heavily into other low carbon energy solutions as well as renewables. So whilst we are trying to decarbonize our existing system, we are also investing in the in the sort of next generation of energy. So scope three, I think it's a it's an important matter, but I would not be able to deliver on scope three targets without all of society wanting to do that too. So that means a carbon price is quite an effective way of decarbonizing economies as a whole. It gives the incentive for manufacturers, for instance, to really focus on energy efficiency and so on. So it's a whole of a society approach that's required. We all need to work together to deliver it. All right, gotcha. Just just a follow-up there. Do you see the momentum around the oil and gas industry? I mean, it's, it's great to hear that Petronas is starting on efforts in, in Japan, for example, but the whole industry, is there enough momentum to do something about scope three in terms of setting perhaps a concrete target or a timeline or something like that? So scope to, de- to reduce scope three emissions, as I mentioned, it's not within my control necessarily. However, you can certainly work with uh, customers in in helping them decarbonize. And this is something that Petronas is very much focusing on. So how can we help our customers decarbonize? So that means providing them with renewable uh, energy solutions or hydrogen or perhaps combining uh, efforts with hydrogen and CCS. So we have an MOU here in Malaysia with, with the, the Naga National, for instance, on that. So that, that's something that we can do, a, a target for the whole industry. I think global industries probably don't have targets on anything, <laughs> but we have to start somewhere. So if we believe that if the industry can start with a common approach on scope one and two, it will go a long way because the challenge we have is that today, not every oil and gas company is focusing on reducing emissions and building uh, new low carbon energy solutions. We need the whole industry to embrace this agenda. Gotcha. And you also touched on some points on technology and and you know all the, the different low carbon solutions. I would love to get to that later, but I think in the meantime, I still want to ask about the the asks that some critics, some skeptics of the oil and gas industry has been has been saying. So, for example, even in Malaysia, NGOs such as Rimba Watch have been calling for Petronas to, for example, halt upstream developments, no more extraction, no more exploration, for example. And I'm sure in COP28 there'll be likely um similar calls by other groups and also calls. To, to not interfere with negotiations. How do you intend to engage with, with the other side of the table in terms of this messaging? So engagement is absolutely critical and we don't all have to agree, but I think we have to do come to the table and, and have these engagements. I can see that people are very concerned about climate change and, and so is everybody here. Of course we are. We can sense and feel that the climate is changing. The on sort of adding or exploring for new oil and gas is absolutely critical. And, and, and let me just say why that is, because every year oil and gas needs to be replenished. So what, what's available 
it's not like you find something and it's there for indefinitely. You do need to replenish and, and bring new barrels on stream. And, and some observers would say, well, that will just prolong the life of fossil fuels. Well, that's not quite the case. I think, first of all, what is important is to bring new, especially gas, gas finds uh, to the markets. The real issue right now is that we need to transition and we aren't transitioning. And just moving from coal to gas would help us a long, long way. So that's absolutely critical. And, and the benefit, of course, Petronas has here that we are very, our portfolio is very gas heavy. Many other progressive oil and gas companies would like to have a similar portfolio to us. So they are trying to build their gas portfolio, but Petronas is already in that situation. Another point to maybe make is that the more mature the field is, the more energy you have to consume to, to get the barrels up uh, from, from the crust of the earth. So sometimes you find lighter barrels and lower carbon barrels. Not every barrel is equal. So everybody is looking for the lower carbon barrels actually around the world. And you would see this in, in all the progressive oil and gas company strategies. That's what they're looking for. So it's absolutely critical. And, and for Petronas as a national oil company, we must keep in mind affordability as well. So we can't if there's not enough to supply the market, of course, the prices will be very unaffordable, as we've seen over the last year and a half or so around the world. And, and that's really forced Bangladesh, for instance, to consume more coal than he was planning to do and so on. So affordability is critical, but we should never lose the goal of, of sustainability, of reducing the emission intensity of, of our barrels. So those conversations are important to have. The energy system is complex. So there's no single silver bullet solution to solve all the challenges that surround energy. But the engagement and the debate is important. So we do welcome that. And I hope COP28 will be sort of a neutral ground to have those conversations in a respectful manner. Sure. Yeah, I hear you. And actually, just to follow up on your point on, you know, what, what kind of energy systems we want, to me as an observer, it may be a bit of a devil's advocate question, but it seems to me that there's two sets of scenarios that are always floated in climate debates. On one hand, you have, say, the IEA, the IPCC, the scientists saying that you need that super sharp plunge in fossil fuel use to reach 2050 net zero, along with the help of a few other technologies like carbon capture you mentioned. But on the other hand, we have some countries and I think the oil and gas industry is indicating that we don't want that sharp a fall, in part because of energy security, I hear that, and that carbon capture and other technologies can be scaled up to make up for the excess emissions. I mean, I, I see the IEA, the scientists, have, as having a bit of a more believable pathway, just because it's more science-based and not putting too much bets on future technologies and looking at Petronas' plans it's your, your own plans for 2050 net zero from a bird's eye view. It does not quite correspond to what the IEA, the scientists are calling for. So I'm just wondering, you know, when it comes to, say, building trust that, you know, you are an involved player in the energy transition, is it not the best way to kind of try to fit Petronas business model towards what IEA, the scientists have, have modeled, that plunge in fossil fuels, granted as, as difficult as it may be? I mean, just happy to hear our thoughts on this debate. So, of course, there are many scenarios out there and and no scenario is correct, right? Because they are scenarios. I think you're referring to the IEA 1.5 degree uh, updated scenario, which is a backcasted scenario. So that means that it kind of starts at the end goal of net zero and then looks and goes back to kind of the year here today where we are and what's required to reach the net zero. 
what's interesting is if and, and and by the way at the same time the IEA has also issued its latest world energy outlook which uh, quite recently where it talks about that you can't just simply cut spending on oil and gas because it won't help the world to reach 1.5 degrees. So IEA issues a lot of analyses and it doesn't always give the same message. I think that's important to note. So to pull out just one one scenario maybe is in isolation is, is not always conducive. An interesting point, I was listening yesterday to a webinar from the Japanese government's research agency that was uh, or had also issued new scenarios recently. And their, their scenario talks about uh, even, even where there's a strong policy signal and activities towards climate uh, action um, in developing countries and especially ASEAN, that there will still be about 50% uh, oil and gas consumption uh, in the region come 2050. And, and that scenario looks more at the demand side. So what's the demand going to be? What's the availability of renewables? And it talks, also talks about not every geography being that conducive for renewables. So different regions will have different solutions. So, so this is everything that you need to take into account. And from a company perspective, we're here to serve the region and, and regions beyond Southeast Asia. And for us, this really is about driving down the emissions for the oil and gas that we produce, as well as investing in the next generation of, of energy solutions. And, and we're also looking at biofuel, circular economy, uh, specialty chemicals, um, hydrogen, electric vehicle charging. So we, we are really investing broadly into the new energy space as well. Cool, I see. And, and it, it leads nicely into the next question I wanted to ask about, you know, the, the financing thing I mentioned earlier that, you know, there is some skepticism on how just because how much the oil and gas sector earned last year on the back of high fuel prices. Petronas also had a net profit of about 100 billion ringgit, 20 billion US dollars, just double of 2021. So my, my question is really against these figures. Can Petronas say that it's kind of doing just enough to to, to keep the world running with the upstream oil and gas activities while, you know, planning financing for the future, low carbon future, and not, say, maximizing profits from fossil fuels today. So Petronas, as a national oil company, shoulders much broader responsibilities than any market player. And, and before I talk about the specific situation we have, I would say that it's not always like this. We do live in a in a commodity space, which means that only a few years ago we had no profits at all. So profits are good because they actually keep the system running and we can invest into to new and even better solutions. Uh, however, it is, I would say, in our case, profits are very important. As I mentioned, we shoulder broader responsibilities. We are not here only, we're not here just to produce energy. That is a very important part of what we hear. But we're also here to support new value chains, industrialization of the nation. And just as we have done with the oil and gas services and equipment sector here in Malaysia, going forward, we, we need to do the same around hydrogen, for instance, carbon capture and storage and so on. Uh, profits are also very important to the shareholder, which is Malaysia. And, and the people of Malaysia, they obviously also benefit from the dividends uh, that come from Petronas when we when we have a good profitable year. Right, gotcha. And yeah, I, I like that you brought up the point that, you know, after all, Petronas is a national oil company. And I believe that 
about a quarter of the Malaysian government revenue comes from Petrona. So that that is no small figure, right? Do want to follow up though. I mean, looking at I, I was looking at what messaging COP28 team in UAE has been putting out. And I think the president designate Dr. Sutan Al Jaber has mentioned that, you know, that the industry needs to prepare for this responsible phase down of fossil fuels eventually. I mean, probably this is for the longer term. How do you see, you know, how do you interpret this from Patrona's point of view in the next few years? Do you have a plan to say responsibly scale down? And, you know, what would such a business model look like? So the challenge we, we have, if we look beyond Petronas, is that this region that we sit in is growing. It's probably one of the fastest growing regions in the world. I saw one scenario, again, these scenarios that we all look at, that energy pro- uh, consumption might go up by up to 60% in the region over the next few decades. I think in Malaysia, it's about 3% a year because population growth is there and and populations moving uh, into the middle classes. And typically that then means that you have more emissions. So what's so important is to decouple uh, economic growth from emissions growth. Now, coming back to Petronas, we don't have plans or, or phasing down or out. However, as I mentioned before, for us, we have a very like a, a gas-heavy portfolio, uh, which will stand the test of time going forward. And and the region is still very much dependent on coal, and gas could actually bring down the emissions down by by half. Also, our international operations uh, are producing uh, some very low carbon gas, but also for our oil production, we are looking at decarbonizing uh, the production side as much as we can. So. For us, it is about responsibly producing oil and gas and abating emissions as much as we can. And we leave no stone unturned. If you go on our website, you will see dozens of memorandum of collaborations, etc., with partners across value chains, uh, governments, etc. We are working very hard on making sure that energy of the future has a better carbon intensity than it has now. And I think we're making very good progress. And I just wonder, sorry, just out of curiosity, what's the opportunity cost of, let's say, continuing to invest in gas and putting in, say, carbon capture and other low carbon technologies compared to compared to a faster scale of, of say, renewables? I mean, again, playing devil's advocate, is it kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy now that we use gas for energy security and that kind of prevents a faster transition towards renewables, which may also be feasible? So I hear this argument a lot, actually. So does CCS just prolong oil and gas consum- production and consumption infinity and, and so on? But the reality is that uh, the global energy system is incredibly complex. Uh, there's no binary switch from yesterday till tomorrow into something green. Um, renewables doesn't just mean that you put some solar panels on your roof and maybe a, a windmill in somewhere. It, it re- really requires a whole ecosystem that supports it. So that means you have to obviously have the technology that suits the geography. So you need to be in places where the wind blows if you want to have wind energy or bright sunshine where if you want to rely on sun. sun. But then you also require regulation and real value chains around it. And we see now that, for instance, the offshore wind industry is really struggling in in other parts of the world because of supply chain issues and and high interest rate environment. It's become uh, really difficult to to drive that industrial development forward. So these, these value chains take time 
to form and they will they will take some adjustment over time. But there is a lot of effort and intent. We need to learn from various parts of the world what has worked, what hasn't worked. Of course, the government here in Malaysia is very proactive in this field and, and we are very supportive of that. So there is no single bullet uh, overnight shift from, from the existing system to, to a totally renewable system. But a lot of investment is growing into going into this, and I, I saw something overnight that investments into low carbon solutions is already surpassing investments into fossil fuels, and this is unprecedented. We've never been in this space before, but it will be difficult because these value chains don't just land on you and everybody makes profit and and it works. No, the whole ecosystem needs to be built and so on. And, and who pays for what? And do we have the right legislation, regulation, tax incentives in place? All that will 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 sort of evolve over time. Yeah, I hear you. Essentially, you're trying to change a well-entrenched supply chain for the past, what, 150, 200 years? In, in, a, in a matter of decades, we're talking about net zero 2050 after all. Thank, thanks for following me through all these questions. I think let's just bring it back to COP for the final few questions. Do you feel if the world is ready now at a stage on the eve of COP28 to come together and work together, do you see the stage being set, set up well? So I'm obviously not part of the process. I, I'm, a, I'm an observer and we hope to make some very good engagements and net, build our network whilst we are at COP28. Will the world come together? It seems quite fractious right now, but it does need the world to come together. It's urgent. We must address climate change. We must scale up our actions right away. And for that, you need cooperation. It's the only way. That was also what really brought the Paris Agreement over the line, was that strong collaboration between China and the US. So let's hope we will see some similar moves um, before COP. And I believe there has been a lot of efforts to to get to that point. But of course, right now, geopolitically, we are in a quite a difficult situation around the world. But the good thing with COP, I would say, is there's a lot of noise and strong winds before COP starts. But then when COP gets going, the momentum tends to take over and other things fall away and people tend to focus on, on what they're there for. So I, I'm hopeful and the fact that everybody is welcome can only be a good thing. And as Dr. Sultan Al-Jaber, the, the president of COP28, he says the 27 COPs until now haven't achieved what we need to do. So if the oil and gas industry, other energy players and, and other industrial sectors can really back the momentum that's being presented by the presidency this year, that could really move the needle faster than before. Yeah, and I saw the interview to here saying there there has been twenty seven cops. So let us do something this cop, right? So yeah, let's let's look on the bright side. What what would be an ideal outcome for COP twenty eight from your point of view? We hope that countries could ratchet up their commitments and other things would fall into place. I think for us, uh, Article six negotiations are quite important. We really want to see. A strong movement towards, for instance, voluntary carbon markets that would benefit Malaysia hugely. So this would be about trading carbon credits from nature-based solutions. That would be really, really important because that would also bring a market mechanism to, to facilitate transfers of proceeds from developed countries into developing countries. I think um, on the oil and gas sector specifically, 
the COP28 presidency has been very busy throughout the year in sort of corralling the oil and gas industry across the world to, to commit to a way forward and to reduce emissions. And I think this is really quite momentous because there are a lot of progressive oil and gas companies but they don't constitute the whole industry. So now we need to get the rest of the industry into the tent and, and through a little bit of peer pressure and, 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 and encouragement, we should, as an industry, really live up to, to the challenge and, and double down on the efforts. Cool. Yeah, I would love to see that. And in fact, you know, it's something I've been telling my friends, my colleagues, that on, on the methane challenge, especially in the past few years, once I, I think it's a case of once the world realized that methane is a kind of low-hanging fruit solution. I, I was pleasantly surprised at least to, to see, you know, OGMP, all the different coalitions come together to address this. So definitely would like to see this kind of momentum going forward. But I think just as an ending question for this podcast, I'm sure there are still a lot of people still kind of raising an eyebrow at the oil and gas sector being present at COP28. So what's kind of your message for those who are still skeptical of the benefits of having the oil and gas sector present at COP? So first of all, it's it's okay to scrutinize us and, and to hold us accountable, but also look at what we are doing. And if I may just mention what we have been working on at Petros for the last two years, we, we set up something we call the uh, ASEAN uh, Energy Sector Methane Roundtable. And as part of this, we launched something called Methane Leadership Program. We're soon going to run a second workshop involving over 100 technical specialists from national oil companies across ASEAN on how to reduce methane emissions, which is such a potent uh, greenhouse gas. So there is real action in the making. This region is actually taking great strides and so much so that this methane leadership program, they've already, I've heard already entities asking if we could replicate it in Latin America. So perhaps that's an opportunity to share, share what we're doing here when we go to, to COP. But I think, I think we need to be open and respectful towards people's different perspectives and opinions. COP is an opportunity to come together. And why are we there? We're actually there because we all care about climate. And sometimes you hear about oil and gas lobbyists wrecking negotiations. There are no oil and gas lobbyists there. We are nowhere near the negotiations. We, we are there just like other observers to observe what's going on, but also engaging in this very rich program of hundreds, if not thousands of sessions that are run at the various country pavilions, industry association pavilions, NGO pavilions. And, and I would say, let's come together and hear those different perspectives because we do need them. One perspective won't bring us over the line. We need to work together. Yeah, like you say, I'm really looking forward to seeing the partnerships, the kind of action that that, that the world can take towards. I mean, I, I, I would assume that there is a singular focus on net zero 2050, getting, getting the world to a climate safe level in the next few decades. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it, but I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what the world can achieve at COP28. Yeah, thanks so much for speaking again, Charlotte, and for you and your team, safe travels in a few weeks to Dubai. Thank you very much, and, and thank you for having us. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening.